Well, good morning, Liberty. Who's glad to be in church today? I'm so glad that you have joined us. I want to welcome all the Liberty family and our guests at every campus. And those of you who have joined us online, whether it's missionaries around the world, our military families, or the men and women in the Virginia Department of Corrections, it's a joy to worship together. Can we at every campus make a lot of noise and welcome all the family? We're beginning today, week two of 21 days of prayer. It's a great way to start out the new year. And it's given a tithe of our time in prayer to God. And I would just encourage you, go on the journey. Even if you missed the first week, you've got two weeks to go. If you need to know more about fasting, we'll try to have some information on the blog this week that'll help you. And I'm just excited to see all that God's doing. And thank you for sending me reports. I've answered prayers already in the first week. And can I tell you that one of the biggest prayers I've been praying for for years has already been answered. Nick Saban has retired. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. You know, uh, the Alabama fans are in mourning. Half the state of Alabama is shouting glory, all the Auburn fans. And anybody else who had to play against him and you, you're a fan of another team, I know that you're happy. But uh, seriously now, let me just tell you, the very seat that you're sitting in right now was prayed over this morning by a prayer team. And somebody's praying right now as I preach in this hour in this service. And I'm just telling you, God is moving and God is answering prayers. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, let me give you a praise report. Uh, at the end of the year, you gave a record 15,072 shoe boxes to Samaritan's Purse. Look at this, global missions, a new record, $392,442 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and the big give, almost a million dollars, 954000 Come on, give Jesus all the praise, not unto us, but unto him be all the glory. Thank you for letting God work through you. Well, we're in a series called Knowing God. And it is a doctrinal series, which means it's a topical series. It's not the way I normally preach. I, I love to preach through a book of the Bible, and we're going to do that as soon as we finish this series. But today, I want you to turn to John chapter 1, and then have your Bible marked at Matthew chapter 1, and then just realize, because it's a doctrinal topical sermon, there's going to be a lot of references to other scriptures that you just need to make a note of, all right? Just write it down. And uh, I believe that God has a word for us today. Uh, I want you to see the three foundational truths that I gave you last week. There is one God. There's not three gods, there's one God. How many gods are there? One. There are three persons of the one true God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is Fully God. Last week I talked to you about knowing God the Father. Today I want to talk to you about knowing God the Son. The second person of the Godhead. Knowing God the Son. And uh, let's just pray. Father, we, we know we're on holy ground when we just talk about the subject of who you are. And I pray now that you would let us have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray, Holy Spirit, fill me. And, and let me preach out the overflow and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, these things can't be discerned by the natural mind. They have to be spiritually discerned, you tell us. So give the people ears to hear and make it real to them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, 
Amen. The first thing I want you to write down is the wonder of Jesus. And my first point is my longest point. The first point's half the sermon. And I tell you that so you don't freak out when I get to point number two. The, the rest of them are short. But I want you to think about who Jesus is. And that's really the question we're answering. And it is the most important question you will ever answer. Who is Jesus? Think about the wonder of Jesus. He is both fully God and fully man. He is called the God-man. Let me show it to you in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You see both his deity and humanity in these two statements. A child is born speaks of his humanity. A son is given speaks of his deity. A child is born gives us the name son of man. It comes from the book of Daniel. It's used over 80 times to refer to Jesus in the New Testament, son of man. And then son of, of God refers to a son is given. He's always existed. This shows us his two names and two natures. He, a child is born shows us that he's an earthly being. A son is given shows us he's an eternal being. He's always existed as God, but hadn't always existed as Jesus. That happened at the virgin birth. A child is born means he came to live among us and live in us. A son is given means that he came to die for us. And that passage says that of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. I'm telling you, there's coming a day when Jesus will rule and reign over his creation. The same Jesus that came the first time is coming again. And I know that 2024 is an election year. But can I just tell you, there won't be any caucusing. There won't be any, uh, you can't primary Jesus. You, you didn't vote him in. You can't vote him out. He's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. Amen. Well, look at John 1. John chapter 1. Let's talk about his deity for a few minutes. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning takes you back to Genesis. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word, here it is, was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. It doesn't matter if you're talking about going to Canada and seeing the northern lights or if you're down in the deep south looking at lightning bugs. There's no light apart from Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And we see God the Son creating back at Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We learned last week the word for God is Elohim there. It, it's a plural term, and it refers to both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why the God has said, let us make man in our image. And I want you to see how God the Son created back at the beginning. I want you to see how he did it. The Bible says that God spoke. It was through his word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the way that the Godhead created was through the Son, through the word. He spoke, and light came into being. I want you to look at uh, verse 18 of John 1. No one has ever seen God. Why? The Bible says God's a spirit. But the one and only Son, who is himself Everybody say it. God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him 
to us. Here's the way it says it in the New Testament. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God. Jesus is both referred to as God and Savior. And you see it all through Scripture. So it means in his deity, he knows all things. It means that he created all things, that he has all power. He has the power to forgive sin. When Listen, when Jesus said, your sins be forgiven, the reason the religious rulers wanted to uh, attack him and ultimately did crucify him for blasphemy is because he claimed to be God. Only God can forgive sins. Um, you look at all the miracles. He, he healed the sick and the lame and, and he raised the dead and he himself rose on the third day. So it means that Jesus in his deity, he is omniscient. I love the story where he says to Nathaniel, in whom there was no guile, Jesus said, he said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And now Jesus standing in the flesh says, I saw you when I couldn't see you. <laughs> and Nathaniel's response to that is this, you are the son of God. <laughs> he said, you are the king of Israel. I think about Peter when, when uh, Jesus said, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Three times. Peter said, Lord, you know everything. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Uh, he's omnipresent. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he said, I will be in the midst. He's everywhere. And yet he is omnipotent. At the first miracle at the wedding, he turned the water into wine. Now, remember, Mary knew who he was because she knew she got pregnant of the Holy Spirit before she and Joseph ever came together. And, and, and so they're out of wine. That means there's going to be no toast. There's no, going to be no celebration. And so she goes to him and says, <clears throat> they're out of wine, son. Show them who you are. <laughs> and he said, uh, my time has not yet come. He let her know that this is the beginning, all right? But it's really neat, just to think, and you gotta use your imagination when you read the Bible. Why would she go to him and say that anyway? Was there a time she said, Jesus, I'm out of some sugar and flour, run down there to the market, the street market. And Jesus said, Father, my mom, she needs some flour and sugar. Hey, Bob, look in the cabinet, the second one right above the sink. You know, I don't know if that happened or not, but it, it makes you wonder, why did she say they're out of wine? Show them what you can do. Every proud parent's been there, right? Show them what you can do. Well, she knew that her son was more than human. Here's the kind of power he said. He said, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. When he was arrested, Peter drew a sword and was going to defend Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, put your sword up. Do you not think that I can ask my father right now and more than 12 legions of angels would be at my disposal? Uh, after the resurrection, Thomas said to him, what? My Lord and my God, the deity of Christ. Go to the book of Revelation. He's Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and end. I'm telling you, you see his deity all through the Bible. But I also want you to see here his humanity. His humanity. Uh, Matthew 1, 18. All right, I told you to go to Matthew as well as John. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
And she will give birth to a son. And you're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Micah 5 even told us where she would give birth. In the town of Bethlehem. Now I'm saying to you that the humanity of Jesus is equally as important as the deity of Jesus. The fact that we have a Savior who is both all God and all man, he's the bridge, the one mediator between God and man, is so important. You can't separate the two. In fact, the early church really never doubted the deity of Christ. They affirmed it. They'd have these councils like the Council of Nicaea or Chalcedon or Constantinople or Ephesus. And in every one of those councils, they were affirming who Jesus was. And again, they were dealing with some heresies, but really what was in question was never his deity, but how deity became humanity. And, and so you look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3.16. You still awake? Say amen. Now remember, these messages are heavily doctrinal, but they're going to get practical at the end. So just hang with me, all right? And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifest in the flesh. The fact that God came and took the form of human flesh, and vindicated in the Spirit. Don't you remember at his baptism? You see the Trinity. The Father spoke from heaven. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was in a body of flesh being baptized like he told us to do. And the Spirit came down in the form of a dove, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up the ascension into heaven. I like the way Dr. Phillips said it. He said the great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity without either discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Remember back in Genesis, the promise after Adam and Eve messed up, he said that you're going to give birth to a son that he said what? That the Messiah, the Christ would come through the seed of the woman. Now, we don't talk that way. We talk about the seed of the man and the egg of the woman. But it was through the seed of the woman. It was a, 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 a symbolic foreshadowing of the virgin birth that would later come. And that's how God can, uh, can give his son and be all God and all man at the same time, the virgin birth. Look at Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, the skeptics say the word virgin in the Hebrew just means a young girl. And it can be translated that way. But this young girl giving birth is going to be a sign. Now, I've been there every time my wife gave birth. And it is amazing. I'm telling you, we went in there, just me and Tammy. Went in, two people came out with a third one. The last time we went in as a family of four, me and Tammy, Taylor, and Lindsay Beth, we came out of, listen, went in a family of four, came out a family of six. We had twins in Zachary and Daniel. It's amazing. It's incredible. But let me tell you something about the birth of our children. Are you ready? There was no cosmic sign in the heavens when she, my wife gave birth. And, and wise men didn't follow a star and come down and bow before any of my children. And yes, we did have a baby shower, but nobody gave us gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know why? Because my children were not virgin born and yours weren't either. There was only one who entered this world through a virgin birth, the Lord Jesus. Oh, I want you to see it here. I 
Isaiah is really saying this is going to be a cosmic sign. When a virgin gives birth, it will be Emmanuel, God with us. Even Mary questioned the virgin birth. She said, how can this be? How can this be? I've never known a man. You know, uh, uh, we've got four children. We've got 12 grandchildren, and they're just precious. I mean, those grandchildren say the sweetest things, and uh, I love it. And it is more caught than taught, y'all. I'm just telling you, let your children grow up around the things of God. Keep exposing them to the things of God. Um, Isabel, we, we call her Bella, and, and, and uh, she, she's got three brothers, and so Isabella, she, 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 she got to be tough when you got three brothers. And, and, and she will learn these songs at church and she'll sing them and, and it's just sweet. And, and she was singing the song one time when she was about three. You do miracles, you do miracles, the impossible. Except she was singing it, you do miracles, you make popsicles. That's cute, isn't it? <laughs> and then she, uh, Isabella, she, she was singing another one when she was four years old. This is how I fight my battles, you know. And, and, and this is how I fight my battles. And her mom said, now, what are you saying? And she wasn't saying battles. Here's what she was saying. This is how I fight my brothers. This is how I fight my brothers. Well, she got three. She got to learn to fight them. But this past Christmas, Cohen, her brother, Learn to play, uh, Mary, Did You Know? And so at the, his uh, piano recital, he played Mary, Did You Know? And, you know, everybody clapped. He did such a good job. Well, Bella gets home, and she said, well, I'm, I'm going to play a song I wrote. She sat down, and she started playing. And Lindsay said, well, what's the name of your song? She said, Mary Knew It Now. <laughs> it wasn't Mary, Did You Know? It was Mary Knew It Now. <laughs> And I want you to know that is the truth that Mary knew it now. Of the billions of humans who have lived throughout history, only one entered the womb the way Jesus did. Here's what I'm trying to say. What sets Jesus apart is not how he left the womb, but how he entered it. Mary knew it now. Mary knew it now. There's never been a time that God the Son wasn't God, but the Son of God hadn't always been a man. No, it... It came through the virgin birth when he was born in Bethlehem. So here it is. Write it down. The incarnation is the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become sons of God. All right? You think about it. His, his deity, his humanity. Look at this verse, John 1:14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What does that mean? It, it means that he had a human body. A human body. And I love what 1 John 4, 2 says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, watch this now, has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit's not the Holy Spirit and everything going on in the name of God is not of God. You wanna know how to identify heresy? Any group, any literature that says that Jesus Christ was not all man and all God. God come in the flesh. That's heresy. And that's the way you identify. Now, he had human body. He had human emotion. Uh, he knew love and compassion. He, he had an indignation. He wept. He was troubled. He was lonely. The word did not give up his deity to take on humanity. 
but he did cooperate with humanity. Remembering all he had a human body and a human emotion, but he had a human mind. When they asked him, when's the end time going to take place? He said, no one knows that. Not the angels, not the son, but only my father. Now, if he's God, he knows everything. But when he took the form of human flesh, he took a human mind. And your human mind and my human mind doesn't know everything. It has limitations. So he identified with us human body, human emotion, human mind, human will. He prayed in the garden. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Uh, So Jesus is like us. Watch this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born like us under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive, here it is, adoptions as sons. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are. Every temptation you failed, Jesus succeeded at. Hallelujah. He overcame. It says, because he was tempted yet without sin. So he's like us yet without sin. What a savior. That he would identify with us. He's all man so he understands us. He's all God so he can help us. Oh, y'all not getting it. He's all man. That means he knows what you're going through. He's all God. He can do something about it. I'm telling you, he was man enough to thirst. God enough to be the living water. Man enough to be hungry. God enough to be the bread of life. He was man enough to weep at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend that died. Oh, but he was God enough to say, Lazarus, come forth. Man enough to be baptized by water. God enough to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Man enough to die and be buried. God enough to rise on the third day Jesus is more than a man. He is the God-man. Put your hands together and praise Jesus for who he is. And because of his resurrection body, look at what he's going to do with ours. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Woo! You just wait. One of these days, I won't be struggling with my weight. One of these days, I won't be struggling with a body Uh, that that is subject to the curse of sin and aging. Hallelujah, I'm going to be like him. Now, let's look quickly at the witness of Jesus. What did he say about himself? It's real quick. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. That's why they wanted to kill him. They knew when he claimed to be the Father... And he and the Father being one, that he was claiming to be God. John 8, 58, Jesus answered before Abraham was born, I am. Here it is. The same I am that appeared before Moses. Jesus said, I'm the great I am. John 14, 9, Jesus answered, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's his own witness of himself, his own claims to be God. I want you to write this down. The work of Jesus. The work of Jesus. The work of Jesus is so important because a lot of people think that he came just to teach. He came just to uh, uh, show us a a moral code. God already given us the Ten Commandments. We didn't need a moral code to live by. No, he came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and that's keep the law and to live a perfect life as a human being. Listen, 
You can't take Christ out of Christianity and still have Christianity. You can take Muhammad out of Islam. It doesn't change the teachings of Islam. Listen, you don't have to believe something about Buddha to be a Buddhist. But Jesus said, believe in me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You cannot have Christianity or be a Christian without believing what Jesus said about himself. Jesus didn't come to be a political reformer. They wanted him to overthrow Rome. He didn't come to overthrow Rome. I'm telling you, he came to pay the penalty for our sin. It's called the atonement. Everybody say the atonement. This is so important. Our, our children have got to learn this. Only a perfect Christ, a perfect human being could keep the law, fulfill it, and then be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is the King James word. It means that he took the wrath of God in our place. He satisfied the payment for our sin. Let me give you two verses here. One Old Testament, one New Testament. Isaiah 53, 5. You're still awake? Say amen. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, that brought us peace was laid on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It says the same thing in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. And so the atonement, this propitiation, I could give you a lot of scriptures. I'm gonna give you one, but I could give you about five where it talks about this. It says in Romans 3, 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. See, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. Jesus is the once and for all sin, uh, sacrifice for sin. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it says through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And so by faith, we believe Jesus took the punishment we deserve and he offers us salvation. You can't talk about Jesus without talking about his virgin birth, his vicarious death, which means it was a substitute. You know what a substitute is that runs in, one player takes another player's uh, place. You know what a substitute is when you have a substitute teacher? Jesus is our substitute. He died a vicarious death in our place. And his victorious resurrection, after he uh, rose from the dead, he walked 40 days on the earth, then he ascended back to heaven. Listen, even in the three days when he was in the grave, he was busy. The Bible says he descended into the lower parts, into Hades, into hell. He wasn't there preaching, giving people a second chance. There's no such thing as purgatory or a second chance. He went there to make a declaration, the war's been won. It is finished. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and he announced it to all the demon spirits and then he took all those Old Testament saints by faith and brought them in just like he told the, the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. Well, <clears throat> all of that, you're talking about the atonement and what he, he did for us. That's the work of Christ. That's why he came. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I want you to get down this doctrine of imputation. Here it is. When Adam sinned, his sin was imputed to us and everyone who's ever been born is born a sinner. You don't have to teach your kids how to sin. 
It comes down through the seed of the man. That's why Jesus had to be virgin born. And I'm telling you, here it is. Just like Adam's sin was imputed to all of us, God took all our sin and imputed it, laid it on Jesus. And that's where the great exchange takes place. He took our sin and it was imputed to us, written on our account, his righteousness paid in full. That's why we worship Jesus. Look at this, the worship of Jesus. In Revelation, you got four scenes of worship. I wanna give them to you quickly. Revelation 4, 11, they worship him as the creator. Right now, in heaven, they're worshiping Jesus as the creator, our Lord and God. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. What's the question everybody has? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? And the world is foolish enough to say that man created God. No, I'm telling you, God created us. They worship him not only as creator, but the worship soon moves to Calvary. They worship him as redeemer. Revelation 5, 12, they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain, slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. They worship him as creator, as redeemer. Look at this, they worship him as king. Revelation eleven fifteen. the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and forever. I want you to get this. We are even taught to pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Finally, they're worshiping him right here as the bridegroom. It says in Revelation 19, 6, look at this. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading water and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, because our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has been prepared. It's like they just see who Jesus is, and that's what I'm trying to get you to see today. They see who Jesus is. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. He's the king. He's the soon coming bridegroom. And they, heaven can be silent no more. They just break into hallelujah and glory and amen. That brings me to my last point, the way of Jesus. Now get this. Oh, it's so important. He showed us what it means to be human. He showed us how to live. In fact, Jesus is referred to, listen, He's referred to as the second Adam because he came to restore what the first Adam lost. I'm saying to you, if you want to be who God made you to be, it'll only happen when you trust Jesus. Let me tell you, he showed us how to live. He showed us how to love. Every virtue you can think of, he accomplished it in human flesh. He lived the perfect life we can't live. And I know this illustration falls short, but just stay with me. I said at the beginning of the message, where if you're not an Alabama fan and your team had to play Nick Saban, you're glad he retired. But let me be quick to say he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. And every other coach is trying to be Nick Saban. They want to do what he did, accomplish what he accomplished. 
Don't you think if every coach is trying to be like Nick Saban because he's the best, every Christian ought to try to be like Jesus? Because he's the God man. And he said, he's going to, listen, conform us to his image. He's going to make us like him. And, and here's the way Paul said it. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I told you, there's always the part of the sermon, what do I want you to know? Well, I, I've told you who Jesus is. But now it comes time, what do you... What I want you to do. What do you need to do with the fact that now you know, now you know. You can't plead ignorance. You can't say, I don't know who Jesus is because he's told us who he is. So what do you do with it? I can tell you the way to heaven is not a principle or precept, a philosophy. It's not the golden rule or keeping the Ten Commandments or morality. No, there's only one way. Here it is. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am. He's the great I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. What does it mean he's the way? He's not just a good way. He's not a better way. He's not even the best way. He's the only way. What does it mean? He's the truth. Well, let me just tell you. You take Jesus out of science, all you have left is evolution. Take Jesus out of society. All you have left is socialism and humanism. Take Jesus out of spirituality and all you have left are cults. And you, listen, this is a practical way you can apply this message. How do you know if, if, if something is a cult? Add, subtract, multiply, divide. If they add to the Bible and say, you, the Bible's not enough. You've got to have our book and our literature. They add to the Bible. They subtract from who Jesus is. He's a good man. He's a good prophet, you know. But they will not say he's fully man and fully God. If they subtract from who Jesus is, if they add to the Bible, subtract from who Jesus is, if they multiply the ways to get to heaven, you got to do step one, two, three, four, and five and work your way there. The Bible says it's not of works. It's a gift. It's by grace. And then finally, they divide your heart, divide your loyalty to Jesus. That's how you can identify what a cult is. And then notice here, he is the life. We say it's not just church. Come on, preach it. It's not just church. It's life. And I'm telling you, you can be a Buddhist without knowing Buddha. You can be a Muslim without knowing Muhammad. But you cannot be a Christian without knowing Christ. You have to know him. There's salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. Uh, Monday morning, I came in to do uh, 6 a.m., 21 days of prayer and kick it off on, on that 6 a.m. Monday service. And uh, some of the men said, there's a, there's a guy waiting to see you. He, he's at Sea uh, Door. And he said, I need to talk to the pastor. And I said, well, I'm about to teach. So you tell him as soon as I get through, I'll meet him and talk to him. And sure enough, as soon as I finished teaching and praying, I went down and right over there to my left, Javier came up. He was crying. He said, Pastor, I need to be saved. And I said, well, Javier, let's talk about it. Are you, are you on trust in Jesus plus nothing else? Not, not morality or good works to get you to heaven. Just his death, his resurrection to save your soul. He said, that's what I want. 
He said, I'm tired of my sin. He, he said, my wife goes to this church and I've started coming and I've realized I have never repented. And I've got to know that when I die, heaven will be my home. And I said, well, the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let's kneel right here and you just tell God in your own words what you just told me. And I'm telling you, as he cried, he began to voice this prayer. God, I'm a sinner and I've never repented, but I'm repenting now. And I believe that you're the son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I'm tired of my sin. And I want to know that when I die, I'll spend eternity with you. And it was one of the most powerful conversions that I've ever seen. He got up the next day. He came to Jerusalem one day as a prayer. I baptized him. And in the baptistry, here's what he told me as we were getting ready. He said, the first person I need to forgive is my father. And he said, I've called him. He said, what you preached last week about the father and what you said on Monday about the father. He said, help me so much. The first person I'm going to forgive is my father. He called his earthly father and told him, he said, God's forgiven me and I want you to know I've forgiven you. He said, I've been telling everybody all week about Jesus. I just want to ask you this. Think about what Javier said. Have you ever repented? Are you tired of your sin? Do you know and have confidence and assurance that when you die, heaven will be your home? If not, I want you right now Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Bow with me for prayer. Just pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I am tired of my sin. I believe you're the son of God, that you lived a perfect life I can never live, that you died to pay for my sin and rose from the dead to give me life everlasting. Forgive me, save me. Be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me follow you. Give me assurance heaven will be my home and I'll spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, will you put your hands together and rejoice with those who prayed that prayer? We want you to fill out the red card at our campuses and just put it in the uh, baskets as you leave or take it to the Next Step Center. If you're online, just text yes to 40371. I want you to stand. Every campus, you know how we end during 21 days of prayer. There's only two Sundays left of 21 days of prayer in January. And so we'll just come to the altar and stand. I want you to do that at all of our campuses. Just step out in the aisle or come stand right down here. You may not know it, but before we put down the carpet, we just wrote prayer promises and scripture up and down the aisle and around the altar. And we just believe we're standing on the promises of God when we pray. And you don't have to come. There's no pressure to come, but I think it's a sweet time if you would like to. And the campus pastors will pray at our sites in the middle of this song, and I will pray for those online and pray with those here at Hampton. Father, I thank you for your plan of salvation. Jesus, thank you for willingly laying down your life for us. And God, I pray right now, giving our lives to you. You gave your life for us, Jesus. Right now, we stand at the altar Lord, we, we give you our lives as a living sacrifice because you and you alone are worthy. Now hear the prayers of these as they call on the name of the Lord. Show yourself strong. We'll give you all the praise for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.